God is so good. Amen? Can we say that together? God is good. One more time. God is good. Amen. Well, as I get started today, um, I want to just say every one of us loves a good comeback, right? I mean, we love when that underdog uh, comes back and wins the big game. That no one expected them to win, they come back and win the big game. I'm sure we could talk about, and some of you have a, a certain comeback in your mind. I've got one in my mind. Some of you won't remember because you weren't even born back then. But 1995, the uh, Indiana Pacers took on the New York Knicks in a playoff game. Uh, I don't know if you saw that game or not, but some say that the Knicks back then had a big rivalry with the Pacers. I think the Knicks had a big rivalry with their star player, Reggie Miller, at the time. I don't know if you saw the game, but let me just catch you up to speed on it. 18.7 seconds left in the ball game. The Knicks were up by six points. Seems like a pretty good lead with that little time left, right? If you're a playoff team in a playoff game, pretty good lead. Unless Reggie Miller is playing on the opposite team. Because Reggie Miller quickly gets the ball, 18.7 seconds left in the game. He's beyond the three-point line. He puts it up, swish. They're down three. The Knicks throw it inbounds. He intercepts the inbounds play under the basket. He dribbles all the way out to the three-point line, shoots it, swish. They're tied. Just a matter of seconds went by. The New York Knicks bring it inbounds. They are fouled by the Pacers. John Starks of the Knicks goes to the line. He bricks both of his free throws. He misses both free throws. And guess who by chance got the rebound? Reggie Miller. Reggie Miller gets the rebound, and he's fouled in the meantime while he's getting the rebound. So Reggie Miller calmly goes to the line, shoots two free throws, makes them both. Wins the game. He wins the game. An amazing comeback. This game made him infamous in uh, New York City, not only because of his performance of almost single-handedly bringing them back and winning a great, winning a great victory, but it was also for this choke sign that he gave Spike Lee alongside the court side. Yeah, Spike Lee was a very uh, vocal Knicks fan, and still is, I'm sure, that set courtside in games. Reggie's just giving a little bit of his own medicine back to him. Anyway, it was an amazing comeback. And whether you like Reggie Miller at all, whether you like the Pacers at all, I think we'd all have to admit that was a pretty amazing comeback. Pretty amazing comeback. I said all this to say that today in Scripture, we're going to look at a guy that makes a pretty amazing comeback. Last week, if you were here, I talked about a guy by the name of Samson. Some of you maybe only know Samson by the one story that made him more popular was him and Delilah. We've all heard of that story, I think. But today we're going to look at his comeback, which really has a whole lot more to do about the Lord than it does about Samson. has a whole lot more to do about God than Samson. And if you don't know much about Samson and you weren't here last week, let me just do a quick review. Samson, from the moment he was conceived and born, God had plans for his life. God sent the angel of the Lord to uh, Samson's parents who were barren and couldn't conceive. And they said, you're going to have a son. And this son is going to deliver the, Philistine, deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. He's going to be set apart for God. He's going to be set apart for the work of God. 
He's going to be given supernatural strength. Solomon had supernatural strength, and nobody's going to argue that this guy that killed a lion with his bare hands and this guy that carried these city gates, these iron bar gates, for miles and miles and miles isn't a very uh, strong man. Amen? We also found out that he was also one of the um, judges of Israel who ruled over Israel for 20 years. But after his lust for Delilah, and after his arrogant pride, uh, he ends up telling her the secret of his strength. And with that, he's captured. He loses his strength, and he gets captured by the Philistines. This is where we got to last week. I'll pick it up from here. After he's captured by the Philistines, guess what happens? They gouge out both of his eyes, and they put him in prison. Let me just say this up front about Samson. All of his life, even though he was chosen by God, you know what he tried to do his whole life? Things his way. He tried to do things his way all along the path. He turned away from God. Last week we found out that he broke all three of his Nazarite vows that he was supposed to keep his entire life. And by breaking those vows, God's strength leaves him. You know, we, we think, oh, poor pitiful Samson. Let me just say, yeah, poor pitiful Samson. Um, but I think of him, the struggles that he struggled with. God's got this story in there for many reasons, but one of the reasons is to tell us and to help us see and realize that the same struggles that Samson struggled with, you and I struggle with. We struggle with many of the exact same problems. Look at Judges chapter 16. Even though Samson was considered to be one of the strongest men that ever lived, I'll just say he was also the most weak, he was the weakest and the most foolish men that ever lived. He was actually handpicked by God to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. But the problem was, all along, he continued to do things his way. Every day, he wanted to do things his way, which ends up leading him to get captured by the Philistines. Look what it says in verse 21 as we pick up the story. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. I want to stop there. You ought to underline that if you're following along. Down to Gaza, because again, I think that's a play on words, really showing us his downward decline of some disobedience in his life and bad decisions uh, in his, his life. But it goes on, it says, Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. I don't know if you've ever heard this old saying, but I think it really pertains to Samson. It's a saying that says, sin binds, sin blinds, and sin grinds. Sin binds, sin blinds, and sin grinds. That's so true in the case of Samson and his life and the way he lived his life. But you and I can't stop there. Because the same truth is true about our lives. When we're in sin, sin binds, sin blinds, and sin grinds. Many people in that day that were captured by the Philistines, guess what they did to them? They gouged out their eyes. Not only that, a lot of times they cut out their tongues. So these were a very ruthless people. Grinding grain, without a doubt, was a very hard job, and it was usually left for the lowest members of society. But look at verse 22. I love this verse. It says, But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Remember when he 
uh, gave the sacred away to Delilah, and actually she had somebody else shave his head, but he got his hair uh, shaved. Verse 23, now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to celebrate, saying, our god has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When people saw him, they praised their god, saying, our god has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land. Do you remember last week the 150 pair of foxes? Actually, Samson went out and he gathered up 300 foxes. He tied their tails together in pairs, put a torch, flaming torch in their tails, and shoot them off into the Philistines' crops to burn up their crops. All they're saying is, that's the guy. This is the guy who burned our land and also, to finish out that verse, says, and multiplied our slain. You remember me talking about the jawbone of a donkey last week, how uh, Samson took the jawbone of a donkey... It's not a weapon at all, but he used it as a weapon to kill 1,000 Philistines. They're saying, hey, this is the guy we're talking about. Look at verse 25. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. Just bring him out. I'm thinking, wow, you can't get much lower than this. This guy is totally and completely 100% shamed, 100% humiliated in front of the enemy's of God, and I would say we'd all agree he has failed miserably, He's, especially when you know what he was called to do in the first place. I think at this point we could all agree that Samson definitely is a guy that needs a comeback. Amen? Anybody agree with me on that? He definitely needs a comeback. But because of his sin and his unwillingness to deal with his sin, his sin catches up with him. Let me just say, if we think we're running far enough and fast enough from our sin that it won't catch us, you're wrong. Our sin, your sin, my sin will eventually catch up with us. That does, that's what happens with Samson. And it left him blind, it left him in bondage, it left him humiliated, and the only thing he has to look forward to for the rest of his life is prison, being humiliated, being tortured for the rest of his life. I don't know about you, but I don't think that's a very bright future. Amen? Well, you've got the Philistines, they're now praising their false god, Dagon, basically praising him for delivering Samson into their hands, and what they're doing actually is making a mockery of the one true God. Uh, the truth is, it wasn't Dagon that delivered Samson into the Philistines' hands at all. It was the one true God. It was our God that allowed that to happen, to, uh, for them to capture Samson into their own hands. I will say this, have you ever noticed that when people who have been out there doing mighty, mighty things for God, whenever they fail, it does affect God's reputation. It doesn't change who He is, but it affects God's reputation, especially with unbelievers. The same is true with Samson, the same is true with us. How many know our sin affects those closest to us first? Our sin in our lives affects them first. And when sin brings us down, and it will, and when it brings us to our lowest point, then you and I ought to realize we need a desperate comeback. We desperately need a comeback in our lives. Well, today I believe Solomon shows us a few things, if you're taking notes, that we shouldn't do if we want a comeback in our life. You know, a lot of the Bible characters we cover, and especially in this series we're covering, we look at what they did so we can learn and do it too. This one, no. Samson's saying, don't do what I do, or I think God's saying, don't do what Samson has done. But I think there's some things that he shows us not to do if you want to come back. If you're taking notes, the first one is 
Samson tried to take control. Big mistake. Let me read verse 25 again. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who had held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me please. Please God, strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. That's his prayer. And remember, this is Solomon, and let me remind you of who he used to be not very many days before that. He used to be a man, and whenever they would mention his name, everyone would tremble in fear. After all, he killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. But guess what's happened now? They turn him into their circus clown. He's entertaining them. He's their freak in their freak show, or their freak in their sideshow. You know, when I think of that, I think, how sad is that? This man that had everything, all sorts of opportunities, and he loses it all. Samson is humiliated, he's angry, and he prays to God this one last time. But I want you to notice something about his prayer. It's not a prayer of repentance, not a prayer of regret. In fact, I'm going to read it to you real slow all over again because Samson uses four personal pronouns. Let me just read his prayer to you. Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me. Let me, with one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. What does that prayer tell you? It tells me that it's all about him. It's all about Samson. This isn't a prayer on how he's let God down. This isn't a prayer on how he's failed as a leader. This is not a prayer where he's admitting and repenting of sin he's been caught up in. It's not a humble prayer from Solomon uh, of how he contributed to damaging God's reputation. On the other hand, I think if you look at this prayer and break it down, it's actually Solomon praying to God, God, give me the strength to restore my reputation. He's still worried about his reputation. How many know so many times it's so obvious to everyone else what a person needs except to the person in need? Did you hear me? Why is it that so many times it's obvious to everyone else around what that person needs except that person that has the need? I remember several years ago we were on a, at a Thursday night prayer meeting and a guy walked in. Uh, he was down and out. He had had drug and alcohol addictions his whole life. He had multiple children from multiple women, didn't support any of them. This guy was down and out. He was at his lowest low. And I remember him saying, I just wish God would tell me what he wants me to do. And I'm thinking in my mind, that's a no-brainer. Get yourself in a drug and alcohol program, rehabilitation program, get some help, get reconciled with your kids, go out and get some Christian counseling, and definitely get in a church and become part of a church body to get the support of that body. But guess what? After all that, he was still oblivious to that. He could not see it for himself. In his book called What God Wants to Know, author Bruce Larson tells about being at a family reunion one time. 
and talking to his daughter, talking to his daughter, um, and his daughter told him a funny but true story about her sister-in-law. Her sister-in-law was a conservationist. She was always talking about saving the planet, saving the environment, saving the wildlife. And her and her family, her husband and her five-year-old son were on a trip in Florida. They were coming up the east coast of Florida, and they all see this sign that says, Naturist Camp Ahead. And they think, wow, we're naturists. We love nature. Maybe we'll go there and we'll meet some new friends and, and uh, share our passions together. Well, they headed for the naturist camp, and about a mile from the naturist camp, they see this group of bicyclers bicycling by. And the thing about these bicyclers, not a one of them had a stitch of clothes on. Some of you are already tracking with me. This, the man looks at his wife, she looks at him, and this is a nudist camp. About that time, their little boy in the back seat says, Dad, did you see that? <laughs> and his dad turned around with kind of a red face and said, I sure did, son. He said, Daddy, he said, none of them were wearing their helmets. <laughs> this, this, this kid was so captivated by that one detail that he missed the obvious. Let me just tell you, I think that tells the story of Samson's life. He's been missing the obvious for a long, long, long time. He's been oblivious to everything everybody's been telling him, even his parents warning him from the very beginning. But the whole problem with Samson, he thought he could take care of business. He thought he could take care of everything, and here he's even asking God for the strength to take care of things one more time. I think what he should have done was put the brakes on. I think what he should have done was stopped right there and repented for the sin that put him in that place in the first place and then turn all the control over to God. Do you think he did that? No. He still wanted to continue to control things. If you're taking notes, the second thing Samson shows us that we shouldn't do, Samson prayed for revenge. Look what it says in verse 28 again. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me please. God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. You know, I'll say this, one way to ensure that you're never going to have a comeback in your life is to be out there trying to get revenge. It, should, it shouldn't work that way, and it doesn't work that way. This might be a little bit confusing because Samson, after all, was called to defeat the Philistines. After all, he was called to be a deliverer, a savior, a conqueror over the Philistines. Um, so it confuses you because from the moment he was conceived and called, you wonder why is this prayer so bad? A prayer for revenge. I think to prove why it's so bad, you have to go all the way back to the first part of the book of Judges. We're toward the latter part of the book of Judges. Go back and there's three men that were called by God, three men that the Holy Spirit of God came and said, told them to engage in battle, and he would help them win the battle. One was a guy we're familiar with, Gideon. Remember Gideon? Another was a man by the name of Jephthah. Another guy was a name, his name was Othniel. I don't know those two last guys very well, except for a few things you read about them. But the Holy Spirit came upon them, gave them strength to conquer their enemies, and they obeyed. But think about Samson. He has all of this given to him. He has all sorts of opportunities, but he never once rallies the Israelites to rise up against the Philistines. And think about the opportunities Samson had. 
Four different times in the Scripture, in the text that we're looking at about Samson, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and not just came upon him, came mightily upon him, gave him supernatural strength, and do you know what he did with the strength? He used it for himself. He used it to right the wrongs in his own life. He used it to fix things that he had broken. So Samson, even in this prayer, isn't praying for strength for the Israelites to rise up against the Philistines. Samson is praying for vengeance. He's praying for revenge against those that have blinded him. What's that tell me? Deep down, he's not thinking about God's plan. He's not thinking about God's people. He's not thinking about God's purpose. He's thinking about himself. You know, the more I study Samson, the more I see a very selfish man. The more I see a very self-centered man. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 19 in the New Testament. He says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. A lot of us from King James days, we know, uh, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Sad to say, many times we as people, we also want to get vengeance. We also want to get back at somebody. We want to see those that have hurt us hurt themselves. Whether we want to admit it or not, a lot of times we've loved to get even. Kind of righting the wrongs. But that's not what God wants. Do you realize that? That's not he, what He wants. He doesn't want us out there praying that bad things would happen to people seeking revenge. Because you know what happens when we get on that track with our minds? Our minds stay there and our minds stay there a lot longer than they need to stay there. And before long we are entertaining that thought. And before long we are enjoying that thought. But let me tell you, you know what happens during the meantime? Something is decaying. It's our spirit. Our strength is being decayed. Our mind and our hearts are being destroyed. Revenge and anger never solved one problem. Do you realize that? Revenge and anger never solved one problem because you know why? It's taking our mind and our focus off of God. Off of God totally and completely. I believe God is telling us today, don't go the revenge route, go the repent route. Don't go the revenge route when you get into a difficult situation and you're tempted to get mad, angry, and frustrated. Go the repent route. Turn away from your own sinful ways and turn toward God's higher ways. And it's not all about saying, I feel so bad. We ought to feel bad when we mess up. But we shouldn't stop there. We should feel bad, but then we should turn away from our own sin, turn away from our own ways, repent, and turn toward God's higher ways. And let Him lead us to His plan. Let Him lead us to His purpose. The truth is, all of us have done some things in our lives that we've done that we wish we could undo. Amen? We've all done things that we wish we could undo. Like one day, my wife Cheryl sent this funny text to her sister Charlie. It was a picture of uh, uh, some scantily clad woman in a bikini uh, standing in the ocean. And under it, it said, I can eat anything I want. I never exercise and I feel fine. And then it said, and by the way, that's me in the background. Then you look at the picture and behind this gal, this bathing beauty, over her shoulder, you see this heavy set gal standing on the beach. Well, Cheryl sent, accidentally sent, That text, not to her sister Charlie, but she sent it to our entire Victory Church prayer group. (laughs) 
I remember the night she sent it on a Saturday night. I was down here going over my notes, and my phone dinged. I set it right here, and it dinged, and I picked it up, and I looked at it. What the heck? From the prayer group? Oh, my gosh. Of course, you have to take another look just to make... Anyway. Cheryl said the moment she pressed that button, she realized what she had done. But she couldn't undo it. When you send a text like that, you can't unsend it. Amen? The thing about sin, though, you can't unsin, S-I-N, but you can repent. Amen? That's to the glory of God. You can't unsin it, but you can repent. But just like God, God may not deliver you from the consequences of your sin. You might still lose your marriage because of your unfaithfulness. You might still lose your license because uh, you were drinking and driving. You might still lose your job and go to jail because you stole from the company, but I guarantee you if you genuinely come to God asking forgiveness with a repentant heart, a true repentant heart, God's going to forgive you. God's going to honor that. He made us a promise that he would forgive us. And with Samson, a lot of people think that God totally abandoned Samson. He didn't. He didn't abandon Samson, but he did let the consequences of his bad choices and bad decisions run their course. You know, God may forgive you, but you're still going to have to go through some consequences of your sin. Go back to verse uh, six, uh, 15 of chapter 16. It says something pretty amazing, I think. It says, but the hair on Samson's head began to grow again after it had been shaved. You know, you might just read through that and think nothing of it. When I read through that, I see a picture of God's grace. I see his hair growing back as God's grace. Even in the midst of his worst and biggest failure of his life, God was present. And God was right there trying to restore Samson. That's the kind of God that we serve. That even in the midst of our worst blunders, in the midst of our biggest sins, in the, worst of our, uh, in the midst of our worst failures and sins, God is right there ready to restore us. And I do believe he restored Samson. I do believe that Samson genuinely repented to God. But ironically, think of this. It wasn't until he was blinded that he saw. It wasn't until he was blinded that he saw the error of his ways, his rebellious ways that he had had and lived his whole life. And I think he is definite proof of the words that Jesus spoke that sometimes we wonder, what is Jesus meaning? But Jesus said this, it's better to have your eye gouged out than for it to cause you to sin. It's better to have your eye gouged out for, than for it to cause you to sin. Sometimes our eyes aren't opened until we hit rock bottom. Amen? Some of us have been there. Our eyes aren't opened until we hit bottom, and when we hit bottom, all of a sudden we look up and we realize we're never out of the reach of God's forgiveness. Never ever out of the reach of God's loving forgiveness. Look at verse 29. It says, Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one, his left on the other. Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. He killed many more when he died than when he lived. Samson pushes out these pillars with all of his might, Everything comes crashing down, and in that moment, he destroyed more of God's enemies in that one moment than he had done in his entire life. He killed about 3,000 Philistines, five kings, by the way, 
But I think bigger than that, God is trying to show us and teach us that even in the midst of your biggest failure, I don't care how big it is, even in the midst of your biggest failure and my biggest failure, God can still use it. God can still use us for His glory. So my question is, who's the hero in this story? Samson had very little to do with this, and God had everything to do with it. I believe it was actually a living lesson in the grace of God. I mean, how this man who had made so many mess-ups, how he was beaten, how he was blinded, humiliated by his repeated stupidity, how he reaches the bottom, turned around and discovers that his God was there waiting for him the whole time. I've been there. I found that exact thing. There's nothing heroic about Samson. All he did was turn around and find God. The hero in this story is God. Proverbs 24, verse 16 says, Though a righteous man fails or falls seven times, he rises again. That ought to be good news. That ought to be real good news to us, that if we fall even seven times, and I think it multiplies whoever and however many times, we can rise again. If you are a follower of Christ, do you realize you can get up and go again? Even when the world hits you and knocks you off your feet, you can get up and go again because as a follower of Christ, you have the same resurrection power of Jesus Christ living on the inside of you that rose Him from the grave. Amen? That brought Him off of that cross. We have that same resurrection power. So what I'm saying is don't just give up and don't go out there and just try to be a better version of yourself. That's not going to work. That's not what God wants. Satan is in the business of taking strong men and making them weak. God is in the business of making weak men strong. Don't just go out there and be a better version of a man or woman that you are. Go out there and be a whole lot better version of the man or woman of God that you are. And get to the point where you understand it in your heart that, wait a minute, this whole thing is not about me anymore. It's about Him. I've lived my life too long, it being about me. It's not about me it's about Him. Then go out and push your pillars down. Amen? Die to yourself and live to Jesus Christ. And I believe somebody needs to hear that. You might be down and out today. You might be hurting. You might be in a problem that you see no answers or solutions to. There is an answer, and His name is J-E-S-U-S. Amen? His name is Jesus. He's the answer to every problem that we have, no matter what situation you're in. And I want to say this, the restoration of a relationship with God never depends on your performance. You can never perform for your salvation. You can never be good enough for your salvation. You can never work hard enough for your salvation. If that was the case, Samson would have failed miserably. Amen? But you know what he did do and what we have to do is turn back to God? Before he pushed down those pillars, he turned back to God. And he turned back to God. He didn't wait till everything was perfect. He turned back to God while he was still blind. He turned back to God while he was still shackled. He turned back to God. And in the end, he ended up doing more in that moment in his death than he had done his entire life. That says something. But let me tell you this. Who wants to get to the end of your life and realize you've given your best years to Satan and the world? Your best years to your enemy? Who wants to come to the end of your life knowing that you didn't wake up till the last second and realize who God was and accepted Him. Who wants to wait that long? I'm thinking, I'm not against deathbed confessions. Hallelujah for that. But I'm thinking, what a waste. You could have experienced so much more in your life. How much better would it have been to have lived your whole life for God? How much better would it have been? 
to develop your relationship with Him every step of the way instead of fraternizing with the enemy along the way. How, many, how much better would it have been to have spent your strength on things that matter? Think about that. On things that really matter. How much better would it be for us to come to the end of our life and realize and to be able to say with confidence, God, I fought the good fight. I finished my course. I live my life for you every day and have that confidence within your heart. I want that for my life. Yeah, I fail miserably every day, but I have a longing to be that kind of person. That kind of person that God created me to be in the first place. It was me that zigzagged all over the place and went here, there, and everywhere. And God finally brought me back and says, no, concentrate on me. Focus on me. I'll give you what you need. I'll supply what you need. I'll be your God. All I'm saying is this morning, let him be your God. Let him be your guide. Let him be all that you need in your life. One last question. How far can a, go, a person go before God throws up his hands and says, I'm done with you? How far can he go? What if you get drunk? Is that too far? What if you steal money? Is that too far? What if you kill somebody? Is that too far? What if you cheat? What if you commit adultery? Is that too far? What if you get an abortion? Is that too far? How far can you go before God throws up his hands and says, that's it, I'm done with you? The truth is, nobody knows the answer to that question because nobody's gone far enough to find out. Amen? Nobody's gone far enough to find out. Corey Tim Boom, a great woman of faith, went through the Holocaust, went through the Nazi concentration camps and survived. A reporter asked her one day, how did you make it through such hard times? She looked at the reporter and she said, no pit is so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. No pit is so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. This morning, if you're running from God, no matter how far and how fast you run away from God, you can never run so far that He can't find you. Amen? And that He doesn't want to find you. He wants to find you. He wants to find me. He wants to find us. And I don't know what pits you're living in and what struggles you're dealing with today. We all have our own struggles. But remember Corey Ten Boom's words. There's no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. Amen? When you get in your battles and when you get down in the holes of life, remember what she said. Because that was a God-inspired word. That wasn't a word just from her. That was a word that's been used across this globe. No pit is so deep. Your pit's not that deep. That God isn't deeper still. Amen. Could you stand your feet this morning? Could you bow your hearts in prayer? Father God, we as a congregation, we just stand before you. Thanking you for your presence in this place. I thank you for your anointing in this place. And I pray that your spirit would work deep within every heart represented here today. And Lord God, that you would do something major and significant in every one of our lives, that your Spirit would do a healing work within us. And God, no matter what we've done in the past, I pray that we would become the people you've created us from the beginning to be. And help us to make the most of the life you've given us, to bring glory to your name. And I pray, Lord God, you'd help us to see what not to do by looking at what Samson did. And as you're praying today, some of you are probably feeling guilty, maybe real guilty for something that you've done. Some of you might uh, be thinking that I've just really messed up. I've really blown it. God wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. I've messed up in a big, big way. The good news is you're here for a reason. 
God has a reason for you being here. It was ordained by God. And I'll just say this, His love is greater than your greatest sin. And because of His love for you, Christ went to the cross. Jesus went and gave His life on the cross. Went to a tomb. Was risen from the grave. So that we could be risen from our grave. So that we could be risen spiritually into everlasting life. So that anyone, and that means you, that means me, that means anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when you call on the name of the Lord, He'll save you. He'll make you brand new, give you a fresh start. He'll erase your sins of your past. He'll be the Jesus and the Christ that He wants to be in your life. I want us all to pray this prayer this morning. And it's not just for those that are accepting Christ for the first time. It's just getting honest with God. Can we say this together? Jesus, I've failed. And I've sinned. And I need a Savior. Jesus, take my life and make me new. I step across the line. It's no longer about me. It's all about you. I give my life wholly and completely to you, God. Take my life, Jesus. I give it all to you. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for your presence here. I thank you for the life-changing moment that we've had with you. I pray that you would continue to work and let this message multiply in our spirits and our hearts and our souls. So, Lord God, help us as we leave this place to take this message, to burn with a desire to please you more than we've ever desired before, to live for you and to not be the Samsons of this world, but to be the people you've called us to be, uh, moving on the strength of Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for all that you're doing, all your uh, yet to do in every one of our lives. We give you thanks and praise in the mighty name of Jesus. And can we just put our hands together this morning, give Him some praise, give Him some thanksgiving for His goodness, His mercy, His grace. Go out and bless God everywhere you go. Have a great week.